0: Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. I'm JJ Bull from Telegraph. Andrew Slavin, your usual host, is away after slaving away on his podcast and being forced to watch the recent Scotland games. But it's okay, because the Premiership is back this weekend. Rangers have appointed a director of football. And because this is the way things work, Celtic have responded in kind and done something very similar. Club football is very exciting. St Mirren versus St Johnston. Let's see if your blood pressure can handle that. Hamilton versus Hibs. How more upsets can Hibs fans get this season? You know what's really exciting though? Goals! And that's where we are joined by the top scorer in League 2, Elgin Shane Sutherland, is on the podcast. Plus there's Motherwell versus Aberdeen. Who is the third best team in Scotland? Probably Kilmarnock. Alongside me in the studio, a man who this time last week was watching Russia pump Scotland right here at Toty Towers. Not in. The towers, I should say, they were in Russia getting done. From Copa90, it is Finn Marks.
1: Hello, thank you for reminding me of that. It wasn't good, was it? It was howling. Do you know what was good? San Marino.
0: (laughs) And next to him, a man who didn't do that, and like me, just went on holiday, like a lad. European football journalist, Kieran Canning.
2: Maybe this is the answer to Scotland's woes. We just play all their games at Totally Football Towers. I mean, they have put like 11 men behind that door. we mean probably t- struggled to concede four goals. You could probably
1: play two v two in here. I think if anybody's got the ability to lose four goals still in this space, then that Scotland back four. I have against to say, Russia
2: even is. on my uh, my holidays, I managed to miss the first half of uh, Scotland versus Russia and thought, oh no, no, on my phone, that's you know, not too bad. Yeah. Went to the pub, watched the second half, and uh, it was it was raining goals. Just as much as it was raining actually at Hamden on uh, Sunday Actual
0: rain, yeah. yeah Yeah, that was an underwater game I like
2: that It was fun to watch
0: um, Andrew has retired from podcast duties teachers for today The big news came this week With Robert Snodgrass also following suit To retire from international football at the age of 32 We're less than six months away from the chance to qualify Euro 2020 I mean, I'm going to say it We're not going to do it But via the <laughs> Nations League playoffs What's Snoddy thinking here? There must be something going on behind the scenes, it does. Right?
2: It does concern me that that is the sort of uh, mentality within the squad. That with, you know, yeah, six months away, well, you're talking maybe about eight months away from potentially being in a tournament mm-hmm. at home and uh, people are retiring from international football because they don't really believe it's going to happen. I mean, so my first thought would be it's something
0: personal. Maybe there's something he just doesn't want to have to travel around the world to get done by Russia. But that like what you're saying, the mentality, that's the mentality of the team. You're not going to win anything.
2: Well, particularly when the games we've got coming up are Kazakhstan at home and Cyprus away is the only trip we'll be doing. Mm. And then the first of the playoffs is definitely going to be at home and potentially the second one at home as well. So it's that long, arduous flight from uh, London to Glasgow that yeah, just want to partake in. <laughs> I also wonder if it's partly... Because he's been in and out of the West Ham team this season. Well, yeah, your club form is important. He to concentrate on that. Yeah. And certainly if I was picking my uh, preferred Scotland 11, he wouldn't be in it. Your wingers would be Fraser and Forrest. This
0: is another thing as well. If you're not in the first team guaranteed and it's all that way to travel, like when I play football on a Sunday, it's about two hours travel. Sometimes I don't want to. <laughs> so you can imagine that maybe some players like that, even though it's your country, I know some people are, are really proud that oh, you should always want to play, but if it's your job and it is his job maybe he just can't be bothered
1: i think it, it's a real shame and it, it's more just a loss of experience i think as well because yeah. we're not exactly flush with experience at international level he's only level. got 28 caps well that's the thing but even that is still infinitely more than a lot of other players in the squads and he's you know he's been there done it in the premier league What's he's spent 7 years in the premier league or something like that so he's got a lot of experience it's just there's something a bit weird in that there's a whole raft of that kind of like age of Scotland players so like in of early 30s because James MacArthur is another one that doesn't really seem bothered Stephen Fletcher um, Matt Ritchie as well they've all kind of announced and uh, they're not world beaters but they are Premier League players with a decent amount of experience especially at international level yeah. and like when you're having to start the top scorer in the championship you know, when you've got somebody like Stephen Fletcher, who I, I'm not the biggest fan of, but the guy's got, you know, 33 caps for Scotland, 10 goals. Like, he, he, that's that's an okay record. Half of them, well, pretty much all of them are against Gibraltar, but it's still, it's a bit demoralising, I think. And halfway through the campaign, that's the thing. But
0: isn't it also, because when players like Snod, so Snodgrass is 32, right? And it's not, I mean... He's younger than me, but it's it's still kind of on the on the way out for a footballer, right? Have you retired from international football I, yet? I've or? retired on a podcast before, actually. Yeah, <laughs> from international football. You can just do it yourself at home right now. Just go.
2: I retire from international football. And firstly, if you had, between you and Mikey Devlin, at centre back, I'm
1: I'm not sure who I'd go for.
2: There's always a chance. I'm still eligible. Definitely bit, by the
1: way. <laughs> I, I I could still play. You're football. still eligible. Yeah, 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 I'm still eligible. still eligible. I'll call I'll,
2: I'll Well, uh, to get rid of
0: the memories of that last week of international football, a team we can feel proud of in Scotland is Glasgow City. They were 2 0 winners away at Brondby in the first leg of the Women's Champions League last 16 tie this week. They are aiming to reach the quarterfinals for only the second time ever. And uh, manager Scott Booth said it's the best team spirit he's ever seen during his four years at the club. It's great. I watched the highlights of this. First goal was in about 30 seconds in, about 45 <laughs> seconds. And the second goal is an
1: absolute howler from the goalkeeper. <laughs> but they've done it. Like, it's, well, it's an incredible achievement. the first and leg. Cause bro- well, yeah, it's, it's still got to they go. They Scottish. I mean, they can still lose in the 90th minute. Exactly. They could lose 5-0. But to go to, to Bromby, who are the seeded team in the tie, and, and to win there quite convincingly, that's an amazing achievement.
2: And when you look at so the teams that are going to be in the last... Because the the thing is, when you look at the, the scores, um, apart from Man City, Atletico, which is uh, one each... They're pretty much all decided. Bayern, Wolfsburg, Leon, PSG, one like heavily away from home. But these are all like massive powerhouses of women's football. Like with lots of money behind them. Pretty much all of them uh, are like professional clubs as well. So mm-hmm. like you know, they've got that, that money behind them. So what Glasgow City are doing is incredible. And it was actually quite a funny um, tweet from one of the players as well, and she just looks like knackered at the end of the game. And uh, she's saying, you know, that face you make when you've got like you've just played ninety minutes in the Champions League, you've got a flight home, and then you have to get up for work the next day, and it kind of gives us sort of that's we've nice got a it. Scottish team and like well hopefully going to be in a Champions League quarter final, but you know that's like still the the hard work they have to put in.
1: You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power.
0: The new leaders of the Premiership make the trip to Tynecastle Castle on Sunday. Hearts and Rangers face each other in the Betfred Cup semi-final in a fortnight. But it's all about the league this weekend. We're joined now by Jordan Campbell, Rangers writer for The Athletic. Hello, Jordan. How are you?
3: I am good. Thanks Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, it's lovely to have you. They're top of the table. How much do you think they believe they can be Champions.
3: Well, I think that I think this um, this season does feel a, a bit different to the the last two. I know at Christmas time last season Rangers were still up there with Celtic after the one at Ibrox, but you know it did feel like you know Davis and Defoe coming in at that time was a turning point, but it just never it never really happened and it never kicked on. And I think that Coman game really set them back, and which they were never really able uh, able to recover from. I think this season you know the squad depth the squad depth is there. You know, look at every position. I mean, even left back. You look at Bonavara. Actually, there was questions all that position last year with Flanagan, Halliday himself rotating constantly. Same with the centre back position. And now you look at the squad. You know, you've got people like Greg Stewart coming to the phone now. I just think they look like they've got options. You look at the bench and, like on Sunday at Hearts, if they're struggling, then you turn to the bench and you know Ryan Kent might be there to come back for a cameo. I just don't think they had that last season. So, you know, I think I think the the dressing room is quite positive about their chances, but. You know, it's whether they can maintain that consistency against against the other teams. because it's something they're not being able to do. You know, it took Gerard quite a while to try and string you know four or five wins together. So, I think that the mentality has definitely improved. But you know, the proof will be in the pudding. If on Sunday they don't manage to get the result,
1: you were just speaking there about squad depth. More on that. Nine goals for Jermaine Defoe so far this season is the top scorer in the Premiership. He's thirty-seven years old, but is that kind of part of the difference this season? You know, they're not so reliant on players like Morelos.
3: I think that is partly why, but I think also Morelos has gone to a different level himself, and you know, Defoe, Defoe's form and the fact that he just defies what age he is, I think that's probably pushed Morelos on as well um, but I, I do think, you know, in Rangers Defoe's a brilliant backup option you know, if you can call him a backup option I think he's averaging a goal of 52 minutes uh, across the all competitions, so you know <laughs> it's not a bad option to bring in when you're struggling um, but I think when when Morelos doesn't play, I don't think Rangers look as fluid. Uh, I know they did last week, but um, you know I think the way he's been dropping into the pockets, and you know I think Michael Peel is probably the big part of that in the last few weeks, sort of changing the changing the way Rangers playing. It's just really helped them break down these teams. So no, I think I don't think we'll see you know Defoe and Morelos playing up together any time this season, unless something drastic changes and they go through a bad patch of form. I think it'll still be you know Morelos plays. The main games and he's the main man. But you know, if it's not working, then you know who else would you rather have than Jermaine Defoe? You know, his his movement and tight spaces to get in behind is just unbelievable. And you know, look at his pace. I don't even people say he's lost a few yards, but it doesn't look like that over five or six yards. You know, he's still electric. Still got that killer instinct. So I definitely think that you know he's taking a bit of pressure off Morelos. But at the same, at the same time, he's also probably pushed them on to another level.
0: Uh, you're just mentioning Michael Beale there. What what influence do you think he's had on the, the team? Is he having a lot of one on one coaching time with them? I think you did a piece with him recently, didn't you?
3: Uh we're speaking to Ryan Jack and he was he was uh re- really keen on his methods, says everybody enjoys the training that he puts on. Um he's also been sitting up in the stand as well, I've noticed the last three or four games. So that's something a bit different. Um do you think he's he's one of the you all see him in the touchline, he's maybe the one who instigates like the tactical changes during the game. He'll maybe be the one that says to Gerrard, you know. Should we maybe do this? Should we maybe do that? But there's of times as well you just see him go and tell Glenn Kamara or tell Ryan Jack to start dropping into like fullback positions. You always see that quite a lot. So and I think he's, he's got quite a key part to play.
2: The rivals at Ibrox continue this week with a, a new director of football and Ross Wilson from Southampton. What can you tell us about him and, and the remit that he's going to have shaping the squads going forward?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think it'll be too different from what Mark Allen's remit is, but. You know, if you look at Mark Allen's uh, C V, you know, he was never really never really qualified for that exact job. You know, he came in as head of the academy at Man City and I don't believe they were they were overly disappointed for him to leave. So um you know he's obviously he's came into a, a new job as director of football and while it was, you know, a new concept for Rangers, I think you know, I don't I don't think Rangers are overly distraught either that he's leaving. Um so I think Ross Wilson was obviously the man they wanted before. Before Mark Allen, and now they've they've managed to get him. You know, I think probably Wilson's record that Southampton the last few years since Les Reed left has probably made it a bit easier to get him because his stocks fallen because of a, a slightly mixed transfer record. Um, even look at the managerial appointments. You know, hasn't it all looked good last season? But you know, as Mark Hughes before it, and then Wilson admitted that you know sometimes they strayed away for their business for their business model where they let him have a, say or have a say on players that he wanted to bring in himself. So, you know, I think Ross Wilson will come in and he'll, I think scouting's probably the one place where he will want to put his own, own stamp on it. Yeah, cause I know John Hughes who gave me his break at Falkirk, he, he said that, you know, he doesn't see the game as a traditional football man does but it's just, so he doesn't speak, you know, to coaches and about, you know, the technical side of things. So I think he's he's more of a, a networker and somebody who will put the building blocks in place. He knows... Who's got the best eye for players Who's clued up in the stats You know He knows how to bring that together Working at Southampton Because so, if you look at most of these signs at Southampton you know They tend to be a pretty wide range In, in terms of nationality But they're all about 22, 23 sell-on value but That's something you look at Rangers in recent years They've not really, they've still yet to bring in that player From that unknown player For one or two million and sell them on for a big fee So I think that's something that he will be tasked with Because that, obviously that will help Rangers end up becoming a sustainable club.
0: Hearts, Rangers, what's going to happen, Finn?
1: Uh, I think Rangers are going to win. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why do you think that? Is it because Hearts can't win against anyone? Is that part that, of the
1: thinking? Or? That's part of it, but I also just think Rangers' form outside of uh, good, the obvious they? old firm defeat has been pretty uh, impressive. I also, Stephen Gerrard's got a pretty good record against Craig Levine. I think he won 4 out of 4 last season. So, I, yeah, I, I would struggle to see Hearts uh, having this down as the game to try and turn their season around from.
0: Craig Levine's record versus Rangers as Hearts
2: boss has played 24-1-1. <laughs> Hearts haven't won at home in the league since the 30th of March. Can you guess who that was against, JJ? Aberdeen. There you go. <laughs> uh, That's why you asked me. Yeah, I but, yeah like, I'm wise. I know you, to, you expect you to know all all Aberdeen related stats. I know all the Scottish football. But, um, no, but yeah, this normally you would say Rangers going to Hearts be a, a tricky game for them. You know, Tynecastle traditionally has been a difficult place to go, but not so much this season. And I just don't see the way Rangers have been playing. I know they've maybe now got. I think this is a good thing for them, but they've maybe now got a few more players away on international duty. Uh, than they have in previous seasons. Like Ariba has been away with Nigeria, scored against Brazil. Uh, Morelos has been away with Colombia. Barisic with Croatia. So they've maybe not had the, the two-week training block that they have had in recent times during international breaks. But still, they're, they've got enough players that have been there throughout the, the two weeks to prepare for this game. And the way they've been playing, um, I, I don't really see them having much trouble against this Hearts team unless... There is somehow a, a massive reaction from Hearts, but we've been waiting for that for a long time and it hasn't come.
0: I mean, the big thing would be that it's home advantage, and I think everyone raises their game against teams like Rangers and Celtic, especially. So you might get a little bit extra from Hearts players there. However, they are going to be set up very defensively, you'd think. It looks like Dickamona's back in the team, Bearer's back, Michael Smith's back. Uh, Machino, I think he's a decent player. I watched him on Y quite a lot and uh, it's really exciting. I don't think he, he's getting taken off early from what I've seen of him.
2: It's a very Levine thing, do you not think? It's like he's small <laughs> and skillful and quite lightweight, and it's like oh, I can't trust them because it's a very well, kind of Levine way to manage. I think a lot of manage. managers do that. But then the thing is, like
0: they're going to set up a really defensive. It's probably going to be a back five, maybe a four midfield, but maybe a three. They played like a some sort of version of a five-three-two, a five-three-one-one, one, whatever against Kamarnik. and they only lost that. And I think it was a a throw-in and second phase of the throw-in, Jake Mulroney just loses, Chris Burks creeps up on him but on the, off his shoulder and scores. But it looks like Levine wants to just try and get some points on the board, like just one ones or nil nils, just block it out and build from there. And Rangers is the, a dangerous team to do that against. Though they struggled in the
2: past with low-block teams, they should be able yeah, to get chances. Yeah, but I think chances. the fact that Hearts playing in that way, as you say, play that way at home to Kilmarnock and they still concede. And we've talked all season about how Kilmarnock have become very good defensively over the past few weeks but really struggled to score goals mm. um, and even they found a way through Bera being back will make a big difference but i just don't see how hearts even playing that way for straight rangers long enough or well enough to keep them out
1: i think you were because you were just saying as well kieran that rangers have had quite a few international players out this week and some of them traveling long distances Scott Arfield was out in canada but i think it's the strength and depth this season that's mm-hmm. a big difference from last season and looking at someone like Greg Stewart who i think at the start of the season a lot of rangers fans were just like what were we sending him for <laughs> like yeah he, he was great at Kilmarnock. he struggled in two spells at aberdeen he was but not good at aberdeen <laughs> but but he i, I just even seeing the way he's then come into the team he, like his work rate is one thing he might not have the ability that some of the other players do but his Intelligence, I think, is there, and he does give Rangers something different. So, when you're losing a player like Arfield or whatever at the squad, knowing that you can rely on someone like Greg Stewart coming in is, is a real bonus.
2: And as Jordan hinted, that they've been on this run of form without Ryan Kent, basically, who's only played like 20, mm-hmm. 30 minutes against Livingston. Yeah. Um, he might be fit, uh, as Jordan said, at least for uh, an appearance off the bench this weekend. So, that's just another attacking threat to, to add into the mix. And he's surely
0: to make a difference in the big games, I mean, you know, against teams like Celtic, and I guess. Well, Motherwell, technically, at the moment. (laughs) Uh, That sort of game's there. One more thing, quickly, and this, you know, have you seen the bit about Aaron Hickey? So the the press tends to get involved in some of these games now and again, and I wonder how influenced by the club they are, or whether it's the press leaking things. So there's some sort of bid for Aaron Hickey coming from Rangers, apparently, which Levine's obviously dismissed straight away and said he's in for Morelos. But these things do happen. Like When they play against a team that could be tricky... It's a like classic like football manager style uh, way to disrupt your opponent by but putting a bid I, I, in.
2: Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I sometimes think it works the other way. That if you know if you're Aaron Hickey now, you, it's a great chance for you to go and. Um, prove yourselves a bit strong but you know show why a team like Rangers would be interested in you would you not be more motivated and encouraged to play well rather than it be Maybe. a destabilising effect but then it's because even that little thought is unsettling so you're not where you were before
0: <laughs> so it that effect think, Ah, well
1: it'd be good fun I think it's also that thing where because it was an international break it's kind of a slow news week in, in many r- regards and um, it's an easy kind of win I think especially with uh, Ross Wilson coming in because Southampton were a club that were looking at him along with a couple of other English Premier League clubs so it kind of makes sense to to make that logical jump just being like oh Southampton we're interested in him he's just moved to Rangers therefore Rangers will be interested too but I think with Barisic playing as well as he is I don't think Rangers uh, really have a need for a left back at this point
0: Over to you Aaron Hickey <laughs> I'm sure we'll all agree the biggest game on Saturday is the bottom of the table clash in Paisley it is the worst attack against the worst defence. St Mirren have scored a measly, a measly three goals, whereas St Johnson have conceded 20, which is nuts. St Johnson are still waiting for their first victory of the season. Uh, this is going to be great. Let's talk to Graham McPherson, journalist and St Mirren fan. Graham, are you excited?
4: <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for it. Um, something's got to give. St Johnson haven't kept a clean sheet all season. St Mirren have scored one goal at home, so... Uh, something has to go in that equation, so hopefully it's going to be a thriller.
0: Do the fans feel um, that Jim Goodwin is going about this the right way, like keeping it tight, trying to steal a goal? I think
4: I think most teams, they always say you try and sort it out at the back first, and Jim Goodwin's obviously done that. They, they keep a lot of clean sheets, they don't give much away, but they're starting to get a few grumbles among the fans about the lack of opportunities at the other end of the pitch. I you mean, know, only scoring one goal at home, only three in the league all season, and um he's brought in three or four new forwards this summer and none of them have hit the ground running yet. So I think there's a slight concern. They kind of tend to play four, two, three, one shape, so the two guys in midfield are quite deep. So you've just kind of relying on the four ones ahead of them to try and create things. And at the moment it's just not really coming off for them. He's brought in, I think I say, three or four new guys um who are struggling for goals and maybe don't know each other yet, you know. So there's all these different elements of trying to put a new team together and how quickly does it gel. So But I think we're now at the point we've had, I think, eight games in the season. Um, You would expect it to be clicking a bit more into gear by now. So I think Saturday against the only team below them in the table will be another barometer of just where St Mirren are so far this season.
1: Last season, St Mirren were kind of hampered by uh, the managerial changes. Do you think Goodwin will be given the season no matter what happens?
4: Yeah, I definitely think so. He's got the added advantage of being a club legend because he captained them to the League Cup back in 2013. So... With that on his CV already, then um, yeah, he's got that kind of goodwill already there. I think someone feel that they've chopped and changed far too often in the last few years. Um, They want to give the manager time. He's been allowed to bring players in in two or three-year deals, whereas in the past it was maybe players in short-term contracts or loan deals. So they're trying to build something a bit more sustainable there. They know they can't keep changing the playing squad or even the managerial side of things. So I believe he will get time. Um, I know they have high expectations or ambitions of getting away from the bottom of the table they don't want to go through the playoffs again like last year so um they'd like to see a quick turnaround of, of uh, fortunes but i think regardless that jim will see the season out. i can't see them changing unless something really drastic happens
2: people expected st mern to be down there fighting for their lives but probably not st johnston surely all the pressure is on the wayside
4: yeah, I mean, Tommy Wright has got a terrific reputation up here in Scotland up for um, getting St. Johnson up into the top six. They continually punch above their weight. Um, so it's maybe a surprise that on this occasion that they seem to be struggling a little bit. I think once they can tighten up at the back, you would expect to see St. Johnson move up to a more natural position in the league, which is maybe seventh or eighth. I don't see them being involved in relegation trouble. It would be really surprising given the everything that Tommy Wright has done and his reputation as a guy who can kind of work wonders from not very much resources so I'd be surprised if St Johnson hang around for the rest of the season but we really need to tighten up at the back Well Graham can't see St
0: Johnson staying down there uh, things are going to rise from the ashes they are the only premiership team yet to keep a clean sheet this season this is their best chance is it? Or is it one of those weird games that what's happened to St Johnson? What's going to happen here?
2: Yeah I think you're right that this is their best chance to keep a clean sheet and probably grind out a win. It's the, it's the kind of game where if they do win, then it could be the turning point for them, you know, winning against, a well, at the moment it's a relegation uh, rival um, against a team that, that doesn't score goals. So that should give them that chance to um, to get the win they need and then maybe then they can sort of push on. But they used to be such a hard team to beat with enough quality up front that they were never you know blessed with great attacking players, but they would players that did enough Got enough goals, they're always a threat to set pieces, but everything seems to have fallen apart so far. And the bringing back in of, of Stevie May, which was basically, a goal, though. basically a goal. The, the idea to, the, to get the goals to, to keep them up, hasn't really worked so far.
1: I, I I do think actually this is quite a tricky game as well, not just for St. Johnson to go to St. Mirren away, but for everybody so far this season, because I think St. Mirren at home have only conceded one goal so far this season which was the goal that Borna Baris scored that amazing free kick for oh, yeah. in the defeat of Rangers so St Mirren might not score but it will. I think St Johnson will really struggle to break them down so I'm going for a 0-0 spectacular in this one
2: definitely be, <laughs> I only wonder though if like, St Mirren's home games so far this season have largely been against teams that they would sit in against so, uh, Rangers, Aberdeen uh, Hearts and whether they'll Target this game Themselves And that actually Might make things A bit easier for St Johnson If St Mirren Come out and play A bit more than They have in the Other home games This season It's tough right Because then You don't want to Then open up And letting a goal Against a team That you really
0: want to, You should minimum Get a point against The weird thing as well I think the mental side Really comes into play here Because like last season St Mirren just looked gubbed. like They just looked so bad I know how they had Dundee just prop up the table below them And this season it's, It almost seems like The pressure is On St Johnson. And even though St Mirren are sitting in 11th I don't think they, they must feel that weight because they would expect to be there and they could probably get out of it. Whereas in Johnson, they don't expect to be there at all and must be like, what the hell's happening?
2: But then, on the other side, St Myrna don't have that sort of safety net this season that they did last year. I mean, you look at how They've well... yeah. yeah. <laughs> how well Ross County have done. Um, Hamilton are being Hamilton and just getting enough wins and enough points to, to keep themselves out of it. When I mean, you look at the table, St Johnson got four points, St Myrna have got five. It's then Hibs and Hearts with six, and as bad as they've been, you would expect them to move up the table. So the the other teams that that before the start of the season you would think would be in that relegation battle would be maybe Ross County, Livingston, Hamilton. They've already got a fair bit of a a head start. Um, so whoever doesn't win this weekend, or particularly if it's if it's a draw and neither neither side gets a win, um, yeah, they're already playing playing catch
3: up.
0: You've always seen Matty Kennedy's goal against Ross County right at the the weekend. Uh, classic example of. Refereeing decisions I don't understand Number four 9,000 classic, classic
2: Scottish football Refereeing it's like He's only kicked him In the chest a little bit So his, foot,
0: his foot's like Abdomen high We'll say And like, and then the referee Just like Oh it's fine On you go And then Matty Kennedy hits like It's a rubbish goal He hits it from 25 yards And it Trundles in uh, well anyway But maybe they can do that Against St Mirren That's how they get The thing is When you sit against a low block If you get a ping from 25 yards That's sometimes all you need To open the game up So but have, just it, have on a, a something.
2: Looking at their fixtures So obviously St Mirren this weekend But then they've got Hamilton, Hearts and Hibbs At home to come So there's a real chance there If they did win this weekend To sort of uh, push on and, and move up the table
0: Scottish teams have a long And proud history of success in Europe Celtic, champions in 67. Aberdeen, UEFA Cup winners in 83, beating Real Madrid in the final. And it'll continue this season with... Uh, oh, no, wait, Celtic are out after losing at home to, uh, Kluge. But thankfully, with Paddy Power's money-back specials, not all your mistakes cost you as much. Get money back as a free bet on football every week. See on site for the latest. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Selected markets only. T's and C's apply. 18plus.
1: On Spotify, Smart Speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Scottish Football Show from Muddy Knees Media.
0: Hibs won't have expected to be below Hamilton at this stage of the season. I don't think anyone did, to be honest. But that's where they find themselves as they make the trip to New Douglas Park this weekend. Hibs have managed to stop the rot with one-all draws against Aberdeen and Celtic, but they still haven't won the Premiership since the opening day of the season. Seven games without victory, no away wins, no clean sheets since the opening day of the season either. Uh, If they lose at Hamilton, you'd think the pressure's going to grow even more, especially with a certain Jack Ross on the market, fired from Sunderland. Paul Heckenbottom watching from the stands after kicking a water bottle and
2: swearing at officials against Celtic. What's going to happen? It's not looking good for Paul kicking bottles, is it? Oh, yeah, he's done a a thing there. (laughs) I I can't even claim that to be my own, to be honest. That was uh, was Twitter wildfire during that Hibs-Celtic game. That's a Wild West, you can take that and claim but it as your the, um, Yeah, th- I feel like this is a must win for Hibs, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hamilton, always a kind of difficult place. I hate to sound so cliched. Hamilton, difficult place to go, plastic pitch, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But as we just said about Hamilton, they, they tend to sneak out enough wins just to keep themselves afloat. And you wouldn't be surprised if this is one of those games where they turn it into a bit of a battle and Hibs have shown this season even hacking bottom himself has complained that they're too too nice at times too easily outmuscled mm-hmm. and if they allow the game to go that way rather than playing their football then yeah Hamilton could easily take something off them
1: i i have no idea how to protect games that predominantly Hamilton or Hibs are in at any point <laughs> in the SPFL. just cuz they it kind of feels like you know, like a, the final round on, on Wheel of Fortune was just spin that thing and like see what number it ends up as. I genuinely don't, no. Wheel of Fortune? I know the, I know of that as yeah. a big wheel and you spin it. Yeah, yeah. Is that the last round they just spin a wheel? Uh no, well that was whoever whoever's closest to hundred. Anyway, we digress. Yeah. But I was just saying like it's, it's it just feels like that that random kind of way that Hamilton could one weekend get uh, a draw at Patoji <laughs> and then the next weekend lose 6-0 at home to Livy. Like, there's no rhyme or reason to any of their performances, which is probably why they end up 10th every season. Like you said, they just pick up weird points on the road that you never expect them to in the middle of horrendous runs. But then in, when they're in good form, they just do it. I don't know. I, I could see this game has a potential to go either way. I think if Hamilton win, it will be very narrow. Um, and probably some calamitous Hibs defending. But if it does click with Hibs, you just don't know. And they, I could see them scoring a couple here, potentially. You just, you don't know.
0: Well, I mean, Hamilton, as we said earlier, they got absolutely pumped by Rangers, royally done. But you expect that because they're a far better team. Hibs, uh, like Kieran's saying, I think they're quite soft in the middle, especially. It's the middle of the team. You just run through them. But Hamilton don't really play through the middle. They kind of work. They play with wing-backs normally and then get the ball wide and ping it into the box. So it's all about like defending second phase, third phase, kind of set pieces especially but Hibbs want to play football they're not really like hardy they're not going to go in for set pieces so I don't know where they create chances from Christian Doidge m- missed about <laughs> three 1v1s I mean I'd say Joulos did
2: really well on each of them I don't say it's all his fault mm. but must be like because I saw so weird thing with this game as well Though is that if, if Hibbs won I yeah. know it was very disappointing given the situation they found themselves in Aberdeen being a goal and a man up to not win the game yeah but then you would look at their last results being like the draw with Celtic, draw at Aberdeen, the win at Hamilton, it's like a slight sign of like things getting a bit better. But yeah, if they don't then I think it could easily be the the end for for Heckingbottom, especially when they've got the League Cup semi-final coming up. So if you're at the Hibs board and they don't win on Saturday, do you keep Heckingbottom in for that or do you make the change before then and hope you get a kind of new manager bounce and maybe even win that game and get yourself into a cup final?
0: Well, I mean
2: they usually do a lot of these changes
0: during the international break. You can sneak it through, and there is one coming up in November. So it could be that Heckenbottom has this time to try and reverse things while they're... I mean, this is pure speculation, but going from the history of football, it'd be quite likely that someone reached out to someone like Jet Ross and this is prepping them. Because, I mean, if you're in charge of football club, you should be always forward planning, right? So it could be that if things don't go well, he has a few more games, and then it'd be the decision comes in November when he'd be chopped and Ross comes in. But then Ross had the same problems because he wants to play nice football, but he doesn't have the players. Then he's got to do recruitment. Is there still budget left this season? Probably not, because it looks like Heckenbottom put in quite a few players. They spent a bit of money on Dodge. So what's he gonna really going to do? He's going to change the way they play. He might have to make it look horrible football, but why can't Heckenbottom just do that? What a mess, eh? Football, eh, JJ? Ah! Who'd be a manager? for the latest odds with our man Lee Price at Paddy Power Hearts vs Rangers is the big one Stephen Gerrard's men won uh, all four meetings last season is there any chance of a Hearts victory?
5: <laughs> I guess the simple answer is no but that would be disingenuous um, after all I would have said similar about Hibbs doing something to Celtic in the last Edinburgh Glasgow fixture so what do I know here's what the odds say Hearts 13-2 to to win this that is a long price Rangers odds on 4-11, to 11. you're not surprised by that, the draw 7-2. to 2. Jermaine Defoe is on fire right now, he's odds on 10-11 to 11 to score any time.
0: It is St Mirren up against St Johnston, what's more likely this weekend? St Mirren scoring twice in a game or St Johnston winning a game?
5: Well this game generally is quite interesting, very tight in the outright market. St Mirren are 7-5 to, to win, St Johnston are 15-8. to 8. You ask what's more likely though? St. Johnson to win, which i just said is fifteen to eight, or St Mirren to score two or more goals in the match. I can tell you it's the latter. Priced at eight to five they score twice or more. And its odds on, in fact, they score at least once, at three to ten.
0: Angela Alessio's Kamaranik have been a clean sheet machine over the last couple of months, but surely there's no way through for Livingston at Rugby Park on Saturday.
5: Yeah, it's an incredible run, isn't it? Seven out of the last eight fixtures have ended with a clean sheet. Um, so the odds on that happening again here you'd think are quite short. And you'd be right. But there's still value, I think. Livingston are six to five to score no goals, but that's still longer than evens. With Killy two to one to win to nil. As for the fixture itself, Kilmarnock ten to eleven to win this game. Livingston three to one.
4: And it comes here, yes. away by Mchedorovic twice.
0: Elgin City currently sit mid-table in League Two, but they have a player who's on top of the division scoring charts. We are joined now by the hottest marksman in the fourth tier, Elgin striker Shane Sutherland. Hello, Shane. How are you? Yeah, good. You? Oh, very good, thank you. Yes, I mean, probably not as good as you because of Elgin's 11 goals they've scored this season. You have scored seven of them. Are you going to tell us it is all down to the great service from your teammates or is it down to your prowess in front of goal? (laughs)
6: I can do all about myself. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> well. as, as, as everyone would probably say, and the same position. Me. The, the team want us and the team create the chances for me, and that, and I'm just there to put them away. But obviously, you need that around you. You need players creating chances for you. But as a striker, I've scored seven league goals already. It's, it's been a great start.
0: Right. Uh, well, the stats say you take a lot of shots. Do you like a ping early, or do you want a poach in the box trying to work the goalkeeper? What's your What's your style? How do you do it? I think over, over
6: the last three or four years, I've, I've scored a lot more goals, becoming more more the poaching side of it, the, the instinct side of it. Um, but obviously, if I get a chance to hit, take a shot at goal, I'm taking it. But I think the stats over the last three or four years of my career, especially the goals I've scored, have been a lot more inside the box. and Instinct finishing it um, over the, before the first few part years of my career, it's more shots from outside the area, creating my own chances and that. But I would say definitely over the last couple of seasons, I've I found myself in the right position a lot of the time to score the you know, tap in and that.
1: You have actually scored some uh, some pretty big goals. Uh, not many people in Scottish football can say they've scored a winning goal against Celtic, but you did that back in 2011 uh, for Cali Thistle. Um, how often do people remind you of that goal?
6: Yeah I'll get a lot of that, a lot of people, people say I bring it up myself but <laughs> um, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a great moment in my career, probably the best personal moment in my career um, to score that winning goal obviously it was, it was quite close in the season, that had a major effect on that, we the league title went that year as well so it was, it's always remembered and a lot of people bring it up.
2: After leaving Inverness you went from Elgin to Peterhead, back to Elgin, back to Peterhead and now back to Elgin. So is a summer move to Peterhead you're playing for?
6: <laughs> no, uh, it's difficult It's difficult to come up here. The options are quite limited in what, what you can do in in terms of travelling and that. Um, so as you say, yeah, when I left Inverness, Elgin was the closest. Let's say in the in the leagues um, that suited me at the time and the, the deal. It was it was one I wanted to do and it was where I maybe started playing week in week out. So yeah, then I went Peterhead and it was it's a still a fair journey from Inverness and Elgin. and I thought is a good distance. And I find myself back at Elgin again, and I'm doing what I do best and scoring goals again. So it's, it's good. It's but I think it's just the diff- most difficult thing about it is the options are very limited up here in terms of what you can can and can go. And some people over the over my years have asked me why do I still play for Elgin in League Two, and they've never made it up. And that's what we aim to do at Elgin is try and get up through the leagues and that. And they've never done it. And why are you still there when you're scoring this amount of goals a season? And not that It, it, it comes down to logistics sometimes and it's it's hard to commit to travelling to a team in Glasgow maybe in a higher league part-time twice a week and having to go down there train once a week three, four-hour journeys there, three, four-hour journeys back so but it doesn't take away from the fact that I want to be at Elgin and play my best football again since I had an injury
0: You wouldn't want to go down a level to Highland League would you? I mean there's teams who obviously be able to pay you money if they were want to take you on but is it a different standard of football altogether or is it something you wouldn't be interested in?
6: Yeah, I've had the opportunity to go to Highland League teams and and with all respect, and they made good offers and it's, they've taught the club up well. And it's something that I've had to think about because, but I just think the disrespect of the Highland League when you look at the results come in, and probably ten out of the seventeen teams get beat by the top seven teams nearly every week, and yeah. I just couldn't find myself motivated for that. We've played friendlies against them, and with all due respect, without it would not being easy, it's just something I think it would be. You feel like you turn up and you win a game, and I don't want. I want to be pushed. I want a test. And obviously, this year with Elgin, we've had the big games in the cups that we've, we've managed to get through, and it's been a good test to test ourselves against the bigger league teams and that, and have to up your game rather than maybe just play at seventy percent of your level and you'll win the game if you're playing in the Highland League. And it's not something that I that interests me yet. Um, obviously the being able to come up through the Highland League now, the playoff pyramid, um, makes it a little bit more interesting because an ambitious team will try and do that, and then you will be playing in the SPFL which is what I've always done um, but no if anything interests me apart from part time football full time I always harbour that ambition to get back to full time but if that time comes maybe not but I'm enjoying my football just now
2: What's the ambitions at Elgin at the moment you're like three points off the playoffs uh, six points off, off the bottom is it making sure you don't get dragged into a battle or are you trying to push on for at least the playoffs this year
6: Every year I'm, I'm an ambitious, ambitious person personally so I will always aim to be at the top and if we're not at the top be second if we're not second so forth be in that position so yeah Elgin no, no, no different we want to first of all we're working now aim to get to, to the next position on the table and then take it from there and build on that and hopefully come the end of the season if it's not top so we're definitely in the playoffs and fighting for it
0: back to the Premiership now, and Aberdeen fans will be expecting a third-placed finish. They demand it. Some expect even more, as we've discussed in the past. But it's Motherwell that are in third, posing the biggest threat to the old firm at the moment. The Steelmen take on the Dons at Fair Park on Saturday. It's a fixture that Motherwell won 3-0 last season. Finn, will this match tell us whether or not Motherwell are the real deal?
1: Uh, Perhaps to a certain extent, I think it's a it's a big game, but Aberdeen has still got a lot of injury and suspension problems now. Oh so. yes,
0: let us see that two red cards and the <laughs> one I'll draw at Hibs. Uh, now, I I'm not sure Curtis Means is a straight red. I think it'd be a, I think it's an overly aggressive tackle, but when you, if you look at the replay and you freeze frame it, which you can't really do when you're a referee, so I can see White's red card. He's got about a yard or half a yard between him and the man when his foot is on the ball. So although he's diving into it, I think, uh, I don't want to say the word contact sport, but I think he's going into it and it should be his. But I mean, it's a stupid thing to do, right? You shouldn't be lunging at tackles like that at the top tier of Scottish football or any football. But Curtis Main has done it and uh, I don't understand why he was signed. He was signed as backup to Sam Cosgrove exclusively. So we kind of changed to a 4-4-2 against Hibbs. He's got a lot of people in Aberdeen um, although I wonder if it is all in Aberdeen or just people on Twitter. I can't work it out because it is it is a small little thing. Does it really represent the whole of the city?
1: I don't know if it does. Twitter's a, an interesting place just in general for football fans. I think it's not always the best kind of place to figure out a general consensus.
0: No, and if you get some people agreeing with you, you instantly assume that you know, they're backing you up you your right one thing that's interesting about the suspensions as well we were just mentioning, like Maine's off I mean, it's not going to really make a difference but Lewis Ferguson is probably Aberdeen's most important uh, player Scott McKenna I'd say at the moment Sam Cosgrove but he's missing with suspension
2: they've not really got a midfield at the moment all injured what are your thoughts on McKenna I mean he was back against Hibbs Obviously had a turbulent summer where he had the transfer request and then the move didn't really work out how how have the fans taken to him coming back in. I think everyone understands why he'd want to leave because he's he's an
0: international level defender. He is you can see Scotland were desperate for him against Russia. Yeah. Just someone who clears things out. Like he doesn't <laughs> he can play with the ball, but one of the things he does in this current McInnes team is if it goes anywhere near him, he just gets rid. It just bounces off his head for about eight miles. Uh which works for some of it. Against Hibbs, Andrew Constantine had one of those games that I think players have now and again, where it's a two out of ten. Just need to come off, but there's normally to replace him, so you can't do it. And it's Constantine so who's given me benefit of doubt. But McKenna, I don't know if it affects his on-field
2: performances. Shouldn't do, I don't think. In between the, the games, maybe. If you were going to give Constantine two out of ten, what would Lekeep have given him? <laughs> uh, I think famous for
0: the Scottish football ratings. I think the printing house would have burned down. <laughs> <laughs> Poor, poor Everyone loves Considine But yeah it, This is the thing So Motherwell um, Failed to score An opening day the season At Livingston But since then They've scored In every game I think Aberdeen At the moment With injury crisis We're going to look to Keep this tight It's not going to Be pretty football I think it's the Kind of game That Aberdeen Will win Because although Motherwell Playing nice They're playing Nice football I mean The goal they scored Against St Mirren like The first one um, it Was uh, James Scott Like an absolute Pinger into the top corner You can't really Plan for those And then the second one Was uh, a From transition And Chris Long Got in and scored uh, Chris Long, twenty-four years old, who looks like he's been working on a building site for <laughs>
2: twenty-four years. <laughs> he actually looked devastated that he'd scored.
4: Yeah, he, d- he
2: didn't look. He was. I seen him that bad. <laughs> I actually, I, I hate to disagree with you, but I think Muddle will win this and could even win it quite comfortably. On top of like the sort of suspensions you've you've pointed out, there's been nothing in Mother's season really so far. I mean, the two games they've lost were Celtic at home when they were they were really good for the first half an hour. And then Ross County, where they were ahead in the game and comfortable until they went down to, to 10 men and Ross County turned it around at the end. And they've, they've had a pretty good record against uh, Aberdeen at home. like They beat them 3-0 um, for a park last season. They put them out of both cups the season before, mm-hmm. I think. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no uh, fear factor there for them. And I just think they're at the moment, the better team the better footballing team I totally agree um, other thing as well like the kind of
0: football they're playing is what um, I think Aberdeen fans want to see Yeah. and uh, Stephen Romsey would be the kind of manager I think if McInnes get chopped would be the one that at the moment would probably be favourite to come in he's linked with the uh, likes of Barnsley and Millwall
2: he's also been in the media recently which is always interesting when teams do that But the interesting thing is um, him being talked up for the Northern Ireland job he say, was talking himself up for the Northern Ireland say, job. say for example the current Northern Ireland manager were to uh, Move on to another international job in the next few years There might be a vacancy there We
0: should move on to Celtic versus Ross County It's two of the top five That's Ross County in the top five They meet in Glasgow The champions have lost the leadership of the league to Rangers But as Anthony Joseph pointed out in last week's podcast Four of their next five premiership matches are at home So it's a critical couple of weeks Because they face a Europa League doubleheader against Lazio That won't be easy. And they also travel to Aberdeen, which probably will, and then take on Hibs in the (laughs) Betfred Cup semi final. You can never know what's going to happen in the Cup. Is there a danger that Celtic could take their eye off the ball against Ross County here?
2: I don't think so, just because there's been this, well, two reasons. There's been this break, the international break, and they're coming off the back of a defeat to Livingston. And they're at home. So I think, you know, I thought that Livingston game going into it. Looked like a very tricky game. I actually think the Aberdeen game next weekend could be as well because it's a Sunday after European game away, mm-hmm. early kickoff. Uh, Ryan Christie will be suspended as he is for this one as well. Did that was I
0: think that's It's a, another weird red card because his foot is high, high to the shin but I don't think it's...
1: There's any malice in it. It's weird. I, it's a I weird think
2: one. Yeah, it was definitely a That's red card. A red you reckon? Card. Definitely it's, a red what's card. wrong it's with the, me? What's it's
1: happened? It's the readiest red card. You've uh, yeah. just been... You've been uh, so subjected to them by Aberdeen players doing it, you're kind of desensitised to crunching tactics. I think things.
0: Sunday League again has done it to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's, uh, what's Celtic's form been like after European games this season so far? Do they suffer a
2: dip? What do we see? It, it's weird. So there's been some very good performances like the Rangers game was after they played in uh, in Stockholm. Um, and then yeah, I mean, the Livingston one, I think, was by quite a distance their worst uh, domestic performance of the season. The only game they'd lost prior to that was the Cluj, the famous Cluj home game. But mm. uh, in terms of the domestic form, yeah, the Livingston game was just a bit of a disaster from, from start to finish. And uh, funnily enough, Christopher Julian has reflected on that game yes. nearly two weeks on with a, a quite puzzling tweet. I would say back to at SPFL. Have to make right some things. Sorry, Celtic fans for being too nervous last time. Won't happen again. And to be fair, I have to thank Living Stones forwards, so that is the a misspelling of Livingstones forwards for that wake up call. Either I win or I learn. See, I like this. No. I like that. That's that's not even the uh You've missed off the I was gonna say that's not, that's not even the, the best end. bit.
1: I'll leave you, I'll pass over to you for the hashtag. Hashtag hoops upside your head. <laughs> Is one of them, which is definitely something he's been given, right, by the media team at Celtic. I don't I think, think he's I think, come up with I think that. It's so. no,
2: I think it's completely the opposite. I think he's, he's something he's come up with that he thinks is like Hoops a cool thing. Because like, the, the reaction on Twitter just baffled Celtic fans. Like, what the hell is this? I mean, a few things to pick out from it. One, this is a guy that they signed for £7 million to basically play in Europe and play in big games and claims to have been too nervous at a away game at Livingston. <laughs> Which in front of entirely Celtic fans, so I find a bit, a bit strange. Um, and yeah, just the fact that yeah he needed that uh, wake-up call. So yeah, I wouldn't say it's um, I, I, it reflects
1: particularly well on him. It's baffling. Like and also as well, like if you are Cosgrove or Ekpessi reading that Celtic's main purchase in the summer, the seven million pound central defender. That's a rig rag taboo. Like, they add, know to go into to add that on they to with that. confidence. He also posted two pictures
2: of him basically just being clattered into by Livingston <laughs> players. It was almost like a demonstration of if you want to really like you know get at me, then just follow the example of these lads. It's like a kid's
0: bouncy castle party. I, see, I I like it because we know these footballers are real people. And I think it's one of the things I like most about Scottish football especially is that it seems that you could talk to them. there, are well, not approachable. What's the word? So, uh, they live in the same world as us, almost. They know they're a lot richer. But it's not like they're hidden behind several layers of security like you'd get in the English Premier League, for example. And the guy is obviously nervous, which is nice to know. It's nice to know that footballers are nervous. Speaking of English English
2: Premier League, or potentially another big European league, uh, odson Edward has now scored nine goals in four games for France under-21s, which I think might actually, well, depending on how you look at it, I think it's a bad thing for Celtic in terms of how long he is going to remain at Celtic. I'm sure they'll get a phenomenal fee for him.
0: Oh, you'd think fifteen, twenty in the summer, right? Oh,
2: way more, I think. You reckon? Yeah, I think they're going to be wanting more than... Because it sounds like they've incrementally asked for more as they've gone on. So, um, like in the Van Dyke times, it was like I think they've only got like 13 million for Van Dyke. Then they got 20 for Dembele. Then they've got 25 for Tierney. I think they'll be wanting at least 25 again to, um, if they're going to sell. Yeah,
0: well, that, I guess like that it. would be they want the cash if they're not doing a sell-on clause. Because I think another part of their business model will be to sell someone like a daikon with a big selling I'm pretty sure
2: PSG have a percentage sell on of Edward so they'll want more to cancel that out.
0: Well, uh, on that note I mean, not to to be outdone by Rangers who we mentioned have hired um, an important person upstairs Celtic appointed Nick Hammond as their new head of football operations. He is a former technical director at West Brom and Reading and he's been there since the summer as a technical consultant for all these job titles and was apparently pivotal to their
2: summer business. Which was okay, wasn't it? So far, it looks... I mean, (laughs) we just talked about their 7 million centre-back who um, didn't like it at Langston. But largely, I think Julian's actually been quite good. El Hamid has looked good. Not so sure, maybe, about Bauer uh, at right-back. Oh, I think he's decent. I've watched a bit of him. I think
0: he's uh, giving me a really good player.
2: He was was a bit susceptible at... um, Livingston as well particularly the first goal he was way out of position
0: See so I, I watched this Livy game and the thing I noticed I think maybe Ross County will have done the same thing with scouting is that Livy's played quite a high line and were pressing quite high up and they had one central forward and they had two kind of midfielders just behind them like a, like a a like a three right and they were just always showing the ball wide and pressing high so when they won the ball in defence they would Celtic would quite often really get like a 2v3 or 3v2, but they would just go in and just clear it s- straight away, not try and like, tackle it, just like, get the ball away, and there was someone up to try and take it, and they kept going at them. And it wasn't until the red card that you know, the game really turned, but uh, that's something that Ross County, I think, would look at doing. They're unbeaten in the last four. One of the things that's watching Livy is that everyone works really, really hard off the ball, and Ross County, I don't know if they will be able to press in the same way they did, but if they can get people high up to put pressure on them, you never know what you can get out of it. I mean, you sit back and wait to get gubbed or you can have a wee go. Uh, But it's another team who sits back and doesn't let things in. In fact, there's two of them here. Kilmarnock versus Livingston. So, uh, two weeks after that win over Celtic, that 2-0 win, they make the trip to Kilmarnock. Livy tweeted the day after the Celtic game that the stadium reception was shutting early for the day due to unforeseen circumstances. (laughs) (laughs) Bevvy. Lyndon Dyke's second goal, well, his first goal in the game, It was lovely, right? little lifted...
2: to to lob the the 17 foot Fraser Foster from like (laughs) quite close in like it was just perfectly judged
1: And also, it's always just nice to see, especially in Scottish football, the goalkeeper getting an assist as well, like a route one through ball over the top. And yeah, I thought the pass for the first one was uh, incredible as well. Uh, Robbie Crawford's, it was, I I, honestly think it was up there for the Scott Allen pass. I know that's the benchmark, and it might not be be beaten. But uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, Livvy did really well. It'll be an interesting game this one, I think, as well. I was find it fascinating to see how the teams that play on plastic pitches. Do away from home at teams that play on plastic pitches. I think it's a much, uh, it's just it's a weird kind of thing seeing teams that are used to the way that that ball bounces and, I it's just it's a different thing. So I and it will bounce know.
2: a lot in this game.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Marvin
2: Bartley was really good on this. Uh, I think it was before the Livingston Celtic game, but he because now quite often managers have the teams that have plastic pitches are like, oh no, it's you know, no no advantage, you know, blah blah all the usual. BS that you get and he was like no, it's a massive advantage we train on it every day we know exactly all the weird bounces that the ball is going to take we know which areas of the pitch to play into and stuff like that so yeah I think what you're saying is right because also it's like is Livingston's passing pitch drastically different to Kilmarnock's or to Hamilton's or whatever so I'm interested to see which game out of this one, and uh, St Johnston Symmeron has more goals because I'm not expecting many in either of them.
0: I, I think it'll be tight as well. I agree with that. There was a photo um, on the internet somewhere of the the Commandant groundsman on that note hoovering the pitch. So <laughs> yeah. that's the maintenance you get at this this, this style. And maybe it works because since losing the first two league games of the season. Killy have kept seven clean sheets in eight matches in all competitions all comps as everyone says now that's a new if you noticed everyone says all comps now uh, only Celtic have scored against them in that time so they don't let goals in uh, however they have signed a goal machine to uh, replace I think Mr. So is injured now and um, Eamon Brophy's, They're trying to keep him
2: fit the whole season so it's Simeon Jackson straight on pens <laughs> <laughs> to take the Osmond So's uh Position. The Pinocchio you know, champ. The, uh, the Kelly Catanaccio is uh, is going well. Remember those heady days of uh, Connors Key and Alessio out and doesn't let the lads eat their chips? Long <laughs> forgotten. Imagine giving a manager time to put in ideas as though it doesn't happen straight or, away. Or imagine thinking that Kirk Broadfoot could possibly have got completely the wrong
1: end of an argument.
0: Well, speaking of Kelly centre backs, uh, Stuart Finlay. It's had a good week. He was the first Camanachd player to score for Scotland in
1: fifty years. It looked like he enjoyed it as well. He's a great. He was just absolutely loving, loving life after that. He was running away. The complete uh, antithesis of the, the Motherwell player that looked like he'd yeah, or, sucked or, a lemon when he scored. Or Stuart scored.
2: Armstrong. What did you think of Stuart Armstrong's reaction to uh, scoring a pair against San Marino? It, didn't, it, it looks was like he wasn't having a good time at all. in no, life <laughs> but I, I didn't know if that was a bit like you know uh, San Marino, like I can't really celebrate this, or it's just that. This is dreadful. Like I'm, I'm nearly being drowned. We're not going to qualify. I'm playing San Marino. I can't get a game for Southampton. But it's really it all kick? gone wrong?
0: Like maybe he's thinking, how come I can only do this against San Marino? If I'd done this in training at Southampton this week, I might get a game.
2: Do, do we, can we can <laughs> we talk about the lead up to that goal, which was like one of the most comical things I do, think you've ever seen? Do, yeah. The so Lauren Shankland, I'm pretty sure does get fouled on the the halfway line. Certainly, every single player thought he'd been fouled but the referee had not given the free kick. The ball went up the other end. The San Marino keeper, thinking it was a foul, just picked the ball up outside his area. Just to, like throwing the ball back to the halfway line. But uh, because the play had gone on, that was obviously a free kick. And then Stuart Armstrong pinged it in the top corner. If we can get something like that in come versus Livingston,
0: we'll have a, a real treat on our hands. But yeah, that is going to be nil-nil, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is all we've got time for. So thank you to Finn. Thank you to Kieran. Thanks to Little Kicks for our lovely theme song. Thanks to producer Charlie for putting this all together. And thanks to you all for listening. You are the most important of all. We'll be back next Friday uh, looking ahead to Aberdeen against Celtic. That'll be fun.
1: (laughs) You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddynewsmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter, and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.